Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, June 9th. I'm Lorraine Caceres. Here are today's headlines. Remembering George Floyd, a private service underway for the man who, in his death, has become a symbol in the fight for racial justice. Excessive force, several new claims of police brutality during arrests, cases out of Texas, New Mexico, New Jersey, and Louisiana. And the politics of police reform. As Democrats unveil a new proposal to overhaul policing, President Trump now under pressure to present a plan. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin in Houston. George Floyd is being laid to rest today, two weeks after his death sparked a nationwide call for racial equality and justice. Pedro Rojas is live with the latest. Pedro, what's the scene like there? Well, yes, we're just waiting for the procession to take off from this chapel onto a cemetery here in Perlin, Texas, where George Floyd will be buried. And now we're with one of the attendants to this service. Let me get your name, ma'am. It's Calandrian Kemp. All right. And you are with which organization? I'm with um, Moms Demand Action, Every Town for Gun Sense in America, as well as the Village of Mothers that have lost children to senseless gun violence here in Houston. How these, these events related to the death of George Floyd has impacted you and your organization? It has impacted us because police brutality, gun violence is running rapid throughout our communities and it is um, really taking a toll on black Americans. But as well as taking a better impact, a harder impact because of mothers that have lost their children. And when George Floyd cried out to his mother, it summons all of us to be present today. I know the country has turned to see what's going to take place here in Houston today. And a lot of people is watching for what's next. What should be the next chapter of this story? The next chapter is how do we all stand together in unity? How do we come together to look at different policies? How do we come together as a whole um, to use our voices to be elevated to make change in the communities that we want to see? We understand that there is also another campaign that says, I can breathe, but I can vote. Uh, inviting folks to go out and to vote after this event. Is that something that you guys are going to pursue? Yes, that is um, absolutely. That is mostly definitely um, what has to happen to have boots on the ground to be um, to ensure that we as Americans get out and vote for the candidate that we know that will have our protection um, at, at heart. And so that is the most important thing that we all can do is get up and use our voices at the polls in November. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate okay, it. Have a great you. day. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank so much. You. And as you can see, many people have just gathered here outside this chapel in Houston, Texas, where, as I said, in just moments, the procession that will lead into the funeral and the burial of George Floyd will take place here in Houston. This is what happened outside the chapel where the body of George Floyd remains at this time. Back to you. Thank you, Pedro Rojas, reporting live from Houston. And former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin making his first court appearance after being charged for the death of George Floyd. This as more cases are surfacing around the country of alleged police brutality. 
fired Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin making his first appearance in court on Monday. Prosecutors saying the 44-year-old accused of killing George Floyd jammed his knee on Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes as he, quote, went limp. Chauvin charged with second-degree murder without intent, second-degree manslaughter, and third-degree murder, ordered held on $1.25 million bail. The attorney for former officer Thomas Lane also charged in Floyd's death, saying his client was a rookie, only on the force for four days. He relied on his 20-year experience officer, and, and that's why he didn't do anything. He, he thought that this man knew what he was doing. This as more cases of alleged police brutality are popping up around the country. In New Mexico Monday, a white police officer charged with involuntary manslaughter after putting his knee on the neck of a Hispanic man back in February. Prosecutors say it led to his death. In Shreveport, Louisiana, four officers now on leave after this video, obtained by KSLA News, showing what witnesses believe are the final moments of Tommy McLaughlin Jr.'s life back in April. The DA says it took police 54 days to hand over their files and that vital information was missing. In New Jersey... The state attorney investigating this incident... One time, shot fired now! Give me EMS! led to 28-year-old Maurice Gordon's death after he was shot by a state trooper on May 23rd. He had been stopped for speeding. There was no indication that he was under arrest. He had no weapon. So you had already frisked him prior to him getting in the back of the car. So you now have been with this person almost 40 minutes. And in Williamson County, Texas, a case from March of 2019, now set to be heard by a grand jury, 40-year-old Javier Ambler heard telling police he has congestive heart failure right before saying the same three words George Floyd said before his death. Ambler's death was ruled a homicide. The district attorney investigating the matter says it's been unusual because the sheriff's office has not been cooperative and it's been difficult to obtain evidence. And in New York City, a police officer who was caught on video violently shoving a woman to the ground during a recent protest over the death of George Floyd is facing criminal charges. Prosecutors say Officer Vincent Diandra has been charged with assault, criminal mischief, harassment and menacing in the May 29 altercation. Protester Dunia Zayer says she was treated for a concussion and seizure after hitting her head on the pavement. Diandria is expected to be arraigned today. The protests have sparked a new debate on how to reform policing and prevent police brutality. Both President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden have come against have come out speaking against growing calls nationwide to defund the police. This as congressional Democrats have proposed sweeping legislation to reform police departments. Andrelinares reports. President Trump is slamming calls to defund the police. There won't be defunding, there won't be uh, dismantling of our police, and uh, there's not going to be any disbanding of our police. The president says he's considering some police reforms, but has yet to put forth any plan. We're going to work and we're going to talk about ideas how we can do it better and how we can do it, if possible, in a much more gentle fashion. 
House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other top Democrats unveiled a sweeping police reform bill called the Justice in Policing Act that would ban chokeholds and no-knock warrants in drug cases. Joe Biden also weighing in. No, I don't support defunding the police. I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness. But calls continue to grow across the country to dismantle police. This issue is about policing in, in, in our society, but it's also deeply rooted in the sickness of racism that we have in this country. Peaceful protesters rightly do not want to be lumped in with a subset of looters and rioters who seek destruction. Then the vast majority of brave police officers cannot be lumped in with the very worst examples of heinous behavior. Meanwhile, members of the Minneapolis City Council say they'll rely on community input as they move forward with their plans. We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls, um, for some domestic violence calls, for um, health-related issues. However, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey says he's only in favor of structural reform. Uh, but if we're talking about abolishing the entire police department, I was honest. That's not where I am. And other police departments are concerned that underfunding would just lead to more problems. Thank you, Andrea Linares, for that report. And President Trump weighing in on the stunning video of a 75-year-old protester who was seriously injured last week after being shoved by police officer in Buffalo, New York. The president questioning whether the situation was staged. Janet Rodriguez has the details from Washington, D.C. Janet, what were exactly the president's words? Well, the president's words were very surprising to many, and I will quote that tweet. He said, Buffalo protesters shoved by police who could be an Antifa provocateur. 75-year-old Martin Gugino was pushed away after appearing to scan police communication in order to black out equipment. I watched. He fell harder than was pushed. Was aiming scanner could be a setup? Now, this early morning tweet raising many eyebrows, many questioning where the president might have gotten that information from what was his source including this brought on including the condemnation of the 75 year old lawyer he has a lawyer in buffalo trying to figure out this situation and he said in a statement that this is a dark dangerous and untrue accusation that martin has always been a peaceful protester because he cares about today's society and no one from law enforcement has said otherwise this is not the first time that president trump posed conspiracy theories and false information on Twitter. We have seen that company already take action on some of the president's tweets. And now this morning tweets also come as a new CNN poll has his approval rating at 38 percent, a new low for President Trump, and also has him lagging behind Joe Biden, the presumptive Democratic nominee, by 14 points. And these unfavorable numbers may be having an effect on the White House because the president is already tweeting this morning that the MAGA rallies are high in demand that he may be going out on the trail next week. His campaign manager had already confirmed that he may be resuming his rallies in the next couple of weeks. However, he hasn't been out on the trail since March, but no date of when and where those rallies may resume has been official just yet. Lorraine? 
Thank you, Janet Rodriguez, reporting live from Washington, D.C. And parts of Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C. are expected to reopen tomorrow, one week after fencing went up around the White House ahead of expected protests. It remains unclear if the fencing perimeter built around the White House will come down full or in part. Protesters have turned the newly constructed White House fence into a living memorial to racial justice, affixing the signs they've been carrying during demonstrations to the temporary fence. And protesters in Detroit have given the mayor a list of demands. They met this morning with Mayor Mike Dugan. The group says it has 23 demands, starting with defunding the city police force. The mayor says he'll listen to what the protesters have to say, but he says he plans to hear from other stakeholders in the city as well. The Washington Post reports a Richmond, Virginia circuit court judge has put the brakes on the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. The order to temporarily block the removal came Monday, days after Virginia Governor Ralph Northam announced plans to remove the monument. The judge granted a 10-day injunction. According to the Post, the lawsuit argues the state promised to protect the statue when it annexed the land it stands on. In Indiana, a monument memorializing Confederate prisoners of war is being removed in Indianapolis. The monument originally stood at a cemetery in 1912. It was, re it was moved to the park in 1928 after public officials active in the KKK wanted to make the monument more visible. The city approved a measure in 2017 to remove the monument once funding was secured, and that happened last week. As police tactics around the country come under intense scrutiny, new questions about an incident in Los Angeles. An LAPD officer there involved in a shooting that left a man dead. Now his family speaking out exclusively to Primer Impacto Salvador Duran. But first a warning, the video you're about to see may be disturbing to some viewers. Is there anybody in there? This is the moment when an LAPD officer unloads her weapon on a man who was holding a small box cutter in the middle of the street in South Los Angeles after he was involved in a multiple car collision. The officer fires six times as 38-year-old Daniel Hernandez walks in her direction. One of the bullets hits Hernandez in the head. Immediately after the shooting, the video also shows other officers at the scene approaching Daniel's lifeless body and handcuffing him as he lays face down on the ground. The LAPD conducts very thorough use of force investigations, which typically require investigators to interview multiple witnesses, view numerous hours of video footage, and analyze a significant amount of forensic evidence. We're still at the very early stages of this investigation. The shooting, which took place on April 22nd, has sparked controversy over the use of deadly force, especially because the officer is approximately 30 feet away from Hernandez. His family claims the officer could have used a non-lethal weapon to subdue Hernandez instead of shooting him six times. I want justice for my son. Other witnesses recorded the shooting from different angles. In those videos, you can see the distance between Hernandez and the officer. 
Was she right in shooting him? We asked a retired police officer to analyze the video. William Preciado spent 30 years as a CHP officer and a supervisor. Why were just five officers standing there pointing their guns at him? I'd like to know that. Was there a less lethal option? Because all policies now, they want officers to de-escalate as much as possible. I did hear the officers say, put the weapon down, put the weapon down. That is a manner of trying to de-escalate, but was there another option where they can try and get to this individual? The family has hired an attorney and has filed a lawsuit for the use of excessive force and wrongful death. LAPD told us that the investigation on this officer-involved shooting is still ongoing and that they will have a final report for review in the next few months. In Los Angeles, I'm Salvador Duran, U News. In peaceful demonstrations around the nation, the slogan Latinos for Black Lives Matter has been popping up and it's sparking a debate on social media. While well-intentioned, some see the slogan as problematic. Let's take a look at these tweets. Latinos for Black Lives erases the fact that there are Black Latinx. I see the attempt for solidarity in the movement, but it's okay to just be Latinx and say Black Lives Matter. Another says, quote, there are Black Latinos. The existence of our Afro-Latino sisters and brothers should not be erased by these Latinos for Black Lives. Joining me now, Tanya Hernandez, a professor at Fordham Law and the author of Multiracial and Civil Rights, Mixed Race Stories of Discrimination. Professor Hernandez, what's your reaction to the Latinos for Black Lives Matter slogan? Well, you know, I understand the desire to be in fellowship and to be um, out front about the ways in which Latinos also are in support of human rights and the needs of African-Americans uh, to have allies. But the problem is that at the very same time that there's this offer of fellowship, there is a complete lack of acknowledgement that Latinos have skin in the game, not just because we're allies, but because we too are Afro-Latino. So as the tweet suggests, it erases Afro-Latinidad um, and it also juxtaposes Afro-descendants as being something completely separate and apart from Latinos and our own uh, origins in other countries. Professor, you're working on a new book about anti-blackness in the Latino community. The timing couldn't be more appropriate. Talk to us about how Latinos are complicit in anti-blackness discrimination. Well, in all the very same ways that we think of um, white Anglo-Americans as being uh, perpetrators of instances of anti-blackness, I have discovered that there are just as many, um, though infrequently reported, instances of Latinos, whether they are white identified or have no racial identity other than being Latino as an ethnic origin, uh, they are just as culpable of, in instances of denying people housing denying people rentals when they are landlords, being obstructionist in the workplace, uh, lowering wages, denying access to jobs, denying access to restaurants when they're managers. Right? So all these various spheres uh, in which anti-discrimination law operates are places in which we find cases where Latinos themselves are accused and often found culpable of 
instances of discrimination against Afro-Latinos and African-Americans as well. And Professor, Latinos also experience, experience discrimination in the U.S. They're targets for excessive force and racial profiling by the police, passed up for promotions in some workplaces. And in the case of Mexican immigrants, they're even targeted by the president. Do lighter-skinned Latinos in the U.S. experience discrimination in a, differently than dark-skinned Latinos? Well, I mean, to say that Afro-Latinos and people who are darker-skinned uh, catch a particular kind of heat, in no way means to exclude the existence of the ways in which Latino, Latinidad itself is racialized in the U.S. from the top down, uh, so to speak. Uh, and so, you know, that we have uh, people who only have the Latino surname uh, and not any vi visible um you know, skin color uh, to be targeted by. But once people know their last name or hear them speaking Spanish, there's an, an adverse reaction to them. I mean, that too is problematic. But the, pro the issue here, you know, that I think uh, is implicated by how we support Black Lives Matter is that we shouldn't erase one to also lift up the other. And Professor, I would like your input on this topic. A lot of the conversation on social media among Latinos has focused on how to talk to older generations about racism within our community. Is that a starting point? It certainly is a starting point in the sense that we have to clean our own house before we fully start pointing fingers elsewhere. <laughs> um, so to say that, oh, you know, those white Anglos, they're like problematic. I'm not saying that they're not. Um, but it, we don't have the moral high ground when within Latino communities themselves, uh, Latino employers are problematic. Latino police officers have also been involved in racial killings of Afro-descendants. So, you know, the very first place to start with this is in the home. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Professor Tania Hernandez at Fordham Law for your time. My, my pleasure to be here. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Welcome back to You News. Now to the latest on the coronavirus. Several states now seeing a spike in cases. The World Health Organization has also released new information about the likelihood of asymptomatic people spreading the virus. Rafael Rodriguez has the details. With hard-hit cities like New York finally starting to ease restrictions, 20 other states and Puerto Rico are now reporting increases of coronavirus cases. And 14 of those states have seen their highest seven-day average of new cases since June 1st. In Arizona, coronavirus cases spiking by 34 percent over the past week. Both hospitalizations and the death toll are soaring. We are certainly have seen a rise, you know, over the last few weeks. If we've started to see a large more volume of patients needing acute hospital care, we quickly could be overwhelmed. Valleywise Health nearing capacity. At Banner Health, the state's largest health care system, the number of people on ventilators has quadrupled in the past three weeks. 
Doctors saying they've reached their maximum for how they can safely care for patients. We just want to continue to be able to take care of our community and our sick patients as best we can. Um, but we need our community to help us by being safe and trying to keep themselves healthy and our nurses and our other staff healthy so that we can keep doing what we're doing for these patients. And as restrictions ease, nearly half of the state's 27,000 cases affecting people between the ages of 20 to 44 years old. The burning sensation in my nose and my throat was the most noticeable uh, symptom that I had. Scott Felix, a 25-year-old from Phoenix, went camping over Memorial Day weekend with friends. A week later, his temperature spiked to 104 degrees. He lost his sense of smell and felt extreme fatigue. Then he found out he had tested positive for COVID-19. A lot of people that I've talked to have said that they... Um, Felt like they may have already had the coronavirus or that they had antibodies uh, and that they, were, they would be safe to go outside. Uh, I would say don't assume that. In California, more than 130,000 people testing positive for the virus, including Days of Our Lives star Judy Evans. Evans broke multiple bones in a horseback riding accident on May 21st. She hasn't left the hospital since after testing positive for the virus my fever started spiking. I said, you know, can, can we test me for COVID? Because they had taken me down a few times for tests without a mask on. They did, and it came back positive. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says Americans are misusing bleach in an effort to fight the coronavirus. According to a CDC internet survey, 39% of the people asked admitted to incorrectly using bleach and other cleaners and disinfectants. 19% said they washed their food with disinfectant. 18% said they used it on their skin, while 10% said they sprayed the products on their bodies. Then there are the 4% of people who surveyed who admitted to drinking or gargling bleach and other disinfectant solutions. The CDC warns against doing any of this, saying they could cause very adverse reactions to your health. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then, 